On this episode, we bring you the latest news from Irish musical theatre and discuss our favourite dramatic roles. This is The Oddcast. My name is Kean O'Dowd, and you are listening to the show that brings you the latest news and opinion from musical theatre, not just on the West End and Broadway, but right here in Ireland. As always, I am joined by my co-hosts, the irreconcilable mm-hmm. Daniel Ryan mm-hmm. and Adam mm-hmm. Trundle. Yeah, I've burned my bridges with Adam. <laughs> <laughs> now tell me, why are you fighting? Can we not have peace? Uh, oh, do you know, it's just, it's, it's frayed tempers now it's cabin fever yeah Yeah. even though we don't live in the same cabin but cabin fever (laughs) cabin fever it's 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 this virtual room Mm. yeah um i Mm. you know i I think with the way things are going the fact we're going to be here for at least another couple of months at this stage Mm. i think we're gonna have to just have kind of uh, where we all record our parts of the podcast without speaking to each other and just hope that it comes out in the edit Mm. as as a functional piece yeah yeah, I think I think it is at least worth a yeah. shot. But I don't know about you. Speaking of irreconcilable, I don't know. I'm finding myself just becoming, and maybe I should have used this as the word, more irritable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As the weeks are going yeah. on. Like, I spilled, a, I, honestly, I spilled a cup of tea yesterday. I was about to sit down and watch a movie. I spilled a cup of tea. <laughs> it was like someone had shot the dog. <laughs> I was beside myself with anger <laughs> confusion disappointment you're like the whole world is burning and i can't even have a cup of tea without that going right yeah or or without no, I can, something I can going relate. wrong yeah. yeah no that's well it, well in any like be it pre-covid post-covid during COVID, spinning a cup of tea is something worth getting mad about absolutely mm. but leaving that aside like i can totally i can relate to the irritable just it's just ugh, it's just it's a fucking shite like like yesterday, I like my sister came in. She was like, "Oh, do you know what phrase was stuck in my head?" And <laughs> and I <laughs> I was ge- and genuinely I was just like, "Oh, pff, I don't fucking know." Like what? Fu-? And it's just like, "Okay, calm down. Like there's no need to overreact like that." But she's like, and it was supposed to be a lovely, friendly, innocuous conversation. And I was just like, "I don't fucking know. What are you talking about?" Like, like, what am I a mind reader? What do you want from me? <laughs> yeah. What do you want from me? Why are you torturing me with these conundrums constantly? <laughs> Who do you think you are? What more do you need? She was like, okay, I'm just going to leave. We'll, we'll talk about this later. What did you ever find out? I actually didn't. I'm, hold up. Give me five minutes. I'll go ask her now. <laughs> <laughs> now I need to know. What an, un- what an unsatisfying end to the story. <laughs> I think those frayed tempers are starting to come out a little bit amongst our listeners as well, because with a little bit of kickback. Hate mail, you might say. <laughs> against our episode uh, about the musicals that we were putting in Musical Room 101. Aiden Fox got on to us on Facebook. Now, the... I'll be honest with you, when I say kickback against us, I mainly mean kickback against me and my choice to put a chorus line in room one. It was a scandalous choice. 
Aiden Fox says, no, a chorus line is a classic. Put Copacabana in there or bloody Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh. I mean, those are, that, that's, uh, that, now there. <laughs> I mean, Copacabana, yeah, whatever. I've never seen it, have no desire to. Whoa, what the hell? Well, hold on. Whoa, hold what on. the hell? Right. <laughs> okay. Hold on. Okay, time, time out here. Time out. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. I have learned very little in my 33 years on this planet. But the one thing I have learned is not to fuck with Barry Manilow. <laughs> Correct. Not sticking oh. it in the room. Also, Copacabana is a great show. That's a really good show. Yeah. Uh, it's sure great it fun. Is. Sure it is. It's really, honestly, for a show that should be dreadful, it's not. It's really <laughs> good. It's actually very entertaining. But Superstar is like, that's a mad that's, choice. That's for the ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Now. But now, you can't go around saying stuff but, like that. Right, if, if you apply the sister act logic, I mean, it's done every year, sometimes twice a year or more, do you know? Mm. True. I yes, but equally, if we were to take this, the why you reckon I... it just keeps coming back again, Adam? <laughs> <laughs> it resurrects it every year. Resurrects no? itself. Uh-huh. I was really oh, looking oh. for a proper pun uh-huh. there, but I, I, I yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. It's just I didn't have time to prepare. I was I was caught <laughs> caught on yeah. the hop, really. But uh, it wasn't the only um, only bit of flack that I caught. I did receive an email Jesus. as well which reads dearest oddcast podcasters mainly kian <laughs> after listening to your musicals w- room 101 i have some comments to make if you ever come after christine de luca again i will personally come after you <laughs> her monologue is not five minutes long and she is a very lovable character and her song about not being able to sing is very funny and perfect in my opinion <laughs> It's not her fault that her husband is just so obsessed with her that he doesn't have a life of his own. That is all. From a former Christine, Lynn. Oh, yeah. Well, at least well, it was to say former listeners. So that's the main thing. <laughs> I was going to say that has... Um, that's true. Has, has, that, that thread hasn't that, been issued. That email has big Leave Britney Alone vibes off it now, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lynn, I have to say, I do apologize. Uh, I have every confidence that... Your portrayal of Christine was all of those wonderful things. But uh doesn't change my mind. Still going in the room. Oh. Although I will now be sleeping with one eye open. <laughs> yeah. Is there a Metallica jukebox musical yet? There should be. <laughs> Dude, that is that is quite the line you picked. Sleep with one eye open. <laughs> you know, gripping your pillow tight. <laughs> 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 no and i don't want to see it if there is oh yeah no no like what you. would a metallica musical involve uh guitars <laughs> oh but like there are already so many lame like rock musical jukebox things yeah we will rock we you across the minds yeah. <laughs> yeah but yeah i would look i'm open to it if someone can find a way to make like kill them all and ride the lightning work in a theater in context a musical. <laughs> yeah i like the what the american idiot's not much better oh that's diabolical uh so out of the hell seems pretty dodge as well i i think i've shit on both of these musicals before to be honest i think <laughs> it's a recurring theme yeah well i mean the lines between what you've shit on in conversations with us and what you've shit on actually on air in the podcast are quite blurred and yeah. i don't really recall but i definitely at some stage you've shit on both of them mm. so <laughs> and it, it, i mean it stands the reason that i would be kind of repeating myself because it seems that i i kind of feel like a character in westworld 
But have you seen the series Westworld on Sky no. or okay, well this reference but Sure, is... make the analogy anyway. <laughs> this reference yeah, is, for, is... For, any of our, for any of our listeners that have, Dan and I will just sit here blanket. <laughs> mm, yeah. go ahead. So in Westworld Tandy Newton won an Emmy for it. Oh, there's some nice trivia. Thanks, Dan. There um you go. <laughs> okay, to keep this brief and fun, uh, Westworld features robot characters who have a programmed script, and so no matter what you say, they only have a series of limited responses. And I kind of feel like on this podcast, I have been like one of those robots in Westworld where I just kind of like fit in Mm. one of the couple of things I know about musical theater. Yeah, (laughs) a bit, a bit like, a bit like Bandersnatch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like the the illusion Mm. of choice and free will here, but (laughs) yeah, really, I'm just looping around the place. (laughs) Actually, Adam is a composite soundboard that Dan and I use as a third (laughs) co-host. Yes, Adam, Adam is an acronym (laughs) for audio... Dynamic, come on, and music, because <laughs> he does all those things. It was better than what I would have come up with. A short notice. <laughs> yeah, no, I really I boxed myself in there, and then I had to go. I, there was no back yet. I had to go with it. Started really strong with audio yeah. dynamic, though. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and music. <laughs> I would have gone with Android as the second. I that mm. it just screamed out to be used. Yeah, mm. Android would be good. Mess as the fourth word. Um, <laughs> your dynamic Android mess. Mess. Um, Man, come on. <laughs> no, oh, no. Let's no. not say things we don't no. mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've you failed that uh. test. Uh, <laughs> So, but um, a, a gripping Westworld analogy. Mm, I, so mm, I think we're all the best. I mean, I'm for that. sure it's going to make the final cut. <laughs> no doubt. It all will. This is all top quality content. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you have an opportunity to redeem yourself now by informing the listeners of the latest musical theatre happenings right here at home in Ireland. We have had some events. Yeah, it's, it's exciting that we have a little bit of news for once. It's kind of, it's it's a change. I mean, still... No mm. shows in a live theater context for obvious reasons, but um, the aims. Eight- Do you want to rehash those reasons for the listeners? <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like if you've crawled out of a rock, um, this is not the place to get your crawled out of a rock. Yeah, my God, <laughs> <laughs> like some kind of barnacle. <laughs> if you've crawled out of a rock musical, yeah. <laughs> yeah if you're, if, I say, no. if you happen to have been smelted out of a rock like a piece of ore. <laughs> <laughs> if you've crawled out from under a rock um thank you <laughs> um yeah this is not the place to get your news on on why there's no theater on just google google why is everything closed <laughs> <laughs> um yeah we had the first ever virtual aims agm that myself and yourself rat keen we were presenting the odd uh, theater company and newbridge musical society respectively i was i was day drinking <laughs> <laughs> Um, but there was some news from that. The Ames National Council was re-elected uh, from president down to PRO. Everybody was, it's the same slate faces as last year, you know, and I think that's, that's not a huge surprise to anyone. They're doing a great job. So, so they have another year to keep going. Um, we also had news of a couple of seminars that are going to be held over the coming months. Uh, one was in the last couple of weeks uh, on streamed events, which was held in association mm. with Theatre Rights Worldwide and Book Ticks Live. And I think that is now available to view. If you missed it, uh, it is available on the AIMS website to rewatch, um, which is interesting, I think, because there are probably going to be a lot of streamed events in the future. So it is, it is good to know mm. how to go about it. Mm. Okay, well... 
Unfortunately, that probably is the end of our local musical theatre news. Only ever a, a limited amount going to happen in the middle of a pandemic, which is why we've decided to entertain ourselves once again by analysing our favourite dramatic roles in musical theatre, why we love them. I think musical theatre is probably best known for being kind of light entertainment, very comedic, but that overlooks the fact that there are some really brilliant, meaty roles. And I I know um, last year we did a whole episode, in fact, two episodes on what wins at aims, what kind of parts get rewarded. We're not really talking so much about that at the moment, but we are talking about characters that are quite in depth mm. and have an awful lot of meat to them and really just ones we love. So we've all been tasked with going away and picking two. So Adam, I know you've been burdened now for two weeks going first. And that trend is set to continue by the sounds of things. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> why, don't, why don't we just pivot to Dan for a change? Mm, must we? Must we? We must. Okay, fair enough. What did you pick? What are, what are your favorite meaty, chunky, thick rolls? Thick. Actually, side side baronation. When you said that at the top of the show about like dramatic roles, I thought like as in, oh, it just literally flashed in my mind. It's like like a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> They're the most dramatic role. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, what would be the most dramatic yeah. role? Yeah. <laughs> I think what mine would the be. The most dramatic role for me is probably a wedge role. Yeah. Oh, or, well, I really overpack them. You end up losing a lot of wedges out of the side. Yes. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Particularly if there's a lot of ketchup involved, yeah. can stain you really easily. Yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> I'd go along with that. Yeah. I saw one sometimes somebody put pineapple in a roll. Oh, that freaked out. me out big time. But that was probably more of a horrifying roll. Why was there even pineapple available? Why was that an option? What deli has pineapple in one of the little bowls? Look, I, these are the... It was probably one of those delis that kind of had the make your pizza thing. Uh, and there was some adventurous oh, yeah. chap going, here. Give us a bit of that. Give us some of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, and and you know what? Might be a culinary Magellan. No, it sounds no, it sounds like a horror show. Mm. No, I think the most <laughs> dramatic role is when you're in the queue and you can see there's only two pieces of chicken left, and you are <laughs> second in the queue, and the queue starts forming behind yeah, you, yes. and and you have yes. to be the guy who orders the last chicken fillet. All you need is an orchestra, and we've got fucking musical right there. And the next person has to ask for cold chicken, <laughs> which is just I. Like, there's no need for me to tell you that that's just... It's like, it, if it's not in the Geneva Convention, yeah, <laughs> it should be. Yeah, it really should be. Yeah. Rather have like, the dry bread. Yeah. <laughs> dry, yeah. flavorless, unfilled bread. Anyway, sorry. Back to... Sorry, yes. Dan, if you would... Sorry, less important topics. Anyway, um... So my my first pick um for a mm. dramatic role um is uh, Ava Peron from uh, from the musical Evita. Ah uh, yes, of course. And not not surprising really. I do believe when we talked last year as well about you know kind of what is a good part in terms of at aims, you know Ava mm. Peron was mentioned, you know in Spadefuls. But it for me it's it has a, a bit of everything, you know. It really does like you know there's a real proper story and an arc to the character in that show which is quite rare in a musical weirdly because there's always some part somewhere along the way that just feels a bit rushed and you're Mm. like yeah and then she did that 
and and we're never really find out why or it seems to come out of left field whereas i feel you really do get to see like the full kind of transition you know kind of you know from the very beginning as a as a young woman you know wanting the the bright city lights you know and the kind of the kind of the playfulness but the kind of the scheming kind of you know sneaky ooh, mm. she's a she's a she's a sneaky little character from the beginning you know and then kind of moving through kind of Argentina Argentina and and Buenos Aires kind of high society really kind of seeing somebody you're never fully sure what's going on with her she's she she's a master manipulator which I think is something mm. it, it's not something you see particularly for women in musical theater I think a lot of times and and that kind of what makes her you know and certainly you have to remember like Evita came out in like was it 1973 I'm going to say sometime around mm. then so you know, really before that, you'd had a lot of kind of like, you know, Rodgers and Hammerstein and Gilbert and Sullivan, where like female parts were by and large, like, you know, they were like, they were strong. You certainly, you know, people like Laurie mm. and Nelly Forbush, but like, you know, at the end of the day, there's there's always like, you know, some kind of, you know, love triangle or love story. It's all about finding a man. And Ava Perron is a really strong woman. She's like, I'll, I'll use every single one of you if I have to. I don't care. I'm getting to the top. Um, mm. And I just think, you know, what the I, back then that probably would have been very fresh, but it still feels really fresh. It's a really challenging role and getting to see something you can really get your teeth into, I think, anyway. I kind of think the thing about Ava Perron is, and I, I do think this about a lot of great dramatic roles, is that you have to play a certain amount of dissonance in your character. In that, on the one hand, you have to be somebody who is eminently likable to so that you understand how this person could charm all of Argentina. Mm. But at the same time, they are in ways a villain of the piece. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and have to have dislikable qualities and pursue dislikable activities. And so you're caught in a position where you have to, in a way, love her and find her very enthralling but at the same time viewer as somebody who is inherently very flawed yeah oh definitely yeah and you and trying to play both of those at the same time mm -hmm. i think is an incredibly challenging thing to do oh definitely because it's it's one of those things you can either certainly in terms of the kind of the the manipulation side of it you can come away from Mm -hmm. it being like oh she was a she was a bit of a bitch that lady and it's kind of like you know that's not really it's it's an aspect but you know it's not the mm. whole picture of it. So definitely being able to balance those two and being able to give off that impression of obviously, you know, and, and, and the likability and, and the compassion, but equally still being able to show that, you know, like, oh, is is she actually scheming? And it, for me, when I see Evita, the ones that I enjoy the most are when I come away from it, I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't figure out if she was really mm. good or if she yeah. was really bad. But I, I loved yeah, it all yeah. from start to finish. <laughs> that, that they're the ones for me. That's the one I really enjoy. But there is also in Evita and in playing Evita a maturing of the character mm. that has to be played as well. So not only is Evita maturing in terms of age because you're playing her from the time that she is coming to Buenos Aires. I think probably in like her late teens uh, up to the point of her death in her thirties. So. She's physically, you know, maturing and emotionally maturing as a character, but also the way that she manipulates people has to mature. Exactly, yeah. It's a real Shakespearean story, isn't it? It's like a Macbeth 
rise and fall situation. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah, like an absolute, definitely. I, I would totally agree. The rise and fall. Also, with any good part, you know, she also has some cracking songs to sing as well. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's, all, that's also that's a true. This component. is a musical after all. It is. It is a musical <laughs> after all. Obviously, like, don't cry for me, Argentina. I mean, it comes to the point. I actually, God, I, I like everyone knows that song. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd heard that mm. song. Like, I heard that song years, but it was there was genuinely a significant gap between hearing that song for the first time and then realizing, oh, that's oh, that's from a show. I just thought that was a song, like, <laughs> mm. like a really long time between those two, which just shows. I mean, <laughs> it's a song that absolutely transcends, like you know, the whole musical itself. Like you know, it's yeah. more famous than it. Yeah. Um, and of course, it's a, a brilliant number. And I love what I love about it is there's there's a documentary years ago with elaine page and i think also we mentioned it before the um the, the that concert they did on radio 2 that they broadcast in on the bbc and, and elaine yes. page, it was elaine page's radio show so she was talking about and they had they had like a poll kind of of britain's kind of favorite musical theater moments and don't cry for me argentina was one of them and she talks about how she still performs it to this day the same way she did in the original production and like Hal Prince gave her like the direction that's like it's a political speech and like pick someone out from the audience and mm. sing it to them mm. you know it's kind of that and I just love that about it I just I love that she still does that to this day and just that you know that there's there's a real kind of power behind that song and a real message I just love that it's it's, it's I mean it's it's no wonder it's so famous because it's just such an iconic moment. It is indeed. I read recently, actually, that apparently when they were first planning to make a film version of Evita, that Sher was slated to play Eva Peron back in the day. Jesus. I mean, that would have been an interesting movie. Wow. Well, they jumped out of the frying pan into the fire, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> Ended up with Madonna instead. Yeah. Um, a controversial choice in Argentina, to say the least. Uh, definitely, there was an awful lot of public backlash around the time of her casting of that movie because Ava a- Braun still, I mean, at least at that time, had an awful lot of supporters in Argentina. So uh, it's, yeah, it had a mixed reaction. Let's let's put it that way. Really mixed reaction mm. among the musical theater world as well to be fair <laughs> <laughs> yeah mm. i i think i think that's true but it is unquestionably one of the most complex and just engaging uh, parts out there in the musical theater canon um really is a superb choice so it brings me to my next point dan what is number two what is the other role that you're choosing the other role that i am choosing and i feel like i've kind of like upset the format straight out the gate because i haven't picked one for a man i've gone with another female you, you do you <laughs> um you do you. but i think it's just because i don't think men have the capacity to be as dramatic <laughs> or to get into those meaty deep roles the same way that a woman can mm. i just think that never underestimate a man's ability to be completely vacant at all times <laughs> it's a fair point so i just think you know it's Women. What did you say? Sorry, I <laughs> um, so in that vein, also because it's just another brilliant part, um, is the part of Anita from West Side Story. Oh, yes, yeah. which, which is just, I mean, again, when we talked last year, you know, there, there's a strong correlation between parts that there's parts that have done well at Ames, you know, and parts that are great that, in my opinion, are great. And Anita is another one of them. Mm. Um, just it's just a brilliant character, just a really Every time I've seen it, no matter who it's been, and it's a credit to the talented women who have played it, but it, it's just always so well realized. It's so in the show, 
it's just she feels like the the fullest character like you can really mm. get into you know the the kind of the meat and the bones of it and really kind of get lose yourself in playing that part you know and you know she's like strong again you know this kind of i suppose is again because west side story was kind of like the 1950s and again this idea of a really strong female character you know really brash really brazen you know Mm -hmm. very feisty and again even to this day you know something that at the time you know playing that part would have been you know really remarkable and would have been really you know groundbreaking and it still feels that way today for me like across the two parts i picked that's what that for me is kind of like the overriding arc really is that they were groundbreaking and kind of almost revolutionary back when they were you know first you know conceived and they still are today you know, and, and I suppose like, you know, she goes and again, you know, there's quite a kind of a character arc, you know, she's she's motherly, you know, like she's she's the one who really has Maria's best interests at heart throughout the mm. show. You know, she you know, she wants to care for her, but she kind of does it in a real, you know, it's not a it's not a kind of mammying kind of way. It's kind of like, you know, a bit of tough love nearly, you know, she's like she's like, I've seen the world and I'm here. To, I'm telling you, mind yourself, watch it. This is what it's like. You know, she's like a, a passionate lover and, you know, she knows heartbreak. She knows fear. And you see all of that across the show. And yet she also brings the kind of the light comedic relief. There's some of her like turns of phrase and her comebacks are just so brilliant. They're so fantastic to watch. Mm. So again, it's it's just a really, really rounded, well-realized character, you know, and a really strong driving force within a show. That That's why I just love, I love Anita. I love the part of Anita. Anita in is such a story. great part because it, it's like the emotional anchor that keeps it in, in reality. Mm. I, like, like, yeah. like in my, because mm. I, I think no matter how good of, of an actor you are, if you're cast as Tony or Maria, just there's something kind of, inherently unbelievable about the fact that they fall in love at first sight and that they're willing to throw away their entire lives for each other instantly yeah and like anita is constantly that voice of reason and and she drives the plot along in places and is is just a really good kind of anchoring character that lets you believe the story because she's there to point out how ridiculous it is within the world of the musical as well (laughs) and as well as having the greatest song in the show absolutely like america is just oh uh, yeah Top drawer. Adam, I'm going to leave you till the end, seeing as we made you go first twice in a row. I'm going to <laughs> offer up my two parts <laughs> that I I think everybody should just check out. The first one I have, and it comes from the last show I did before lockdown, Ooh. but it's not the part I played. It's Sam Wheat from Ghost oh, the Musical. Yes. So nice. in Ghost, I played Carl Bruner, who is the villain and he is sam's best friend who he ultimately when things go south ends up accidentally killing by planning a botched mugging by a guy called willie lopez and while carl is a really interesting character and has an awful lot of kind of depth in how he deals with that i think sam is just fantastically well written obviously people will be familiar with the 1990 movie starring Patrick Swayze and Whoopi Goldberg, which was nominated for Best Picture that year Mm. and had a screenplay by a guy called Bruce Joel Rubin and actually won Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars in 1990. And Bruce Joel Rubin went on to adapt the script for Ghost the Musical. And it really is an excellent piece of, of writing. It's very unique because there are a few musicals where you will have to act as a ghost for 
yeah. the majority of the show. And that comes with a massive amount of physical challenge in how you portray that. It really is, uh, I, having watched um, Cormac Malone excellently play it in New Ross, it just, it goes to show the, the physical challenge there is in doing that. But by, quite apart from that, I think it is difficult to get across the desperation that a person has to feel being trapped in a kind of otherworldly existence, looking on at the peril being experienced by those you love and being powerless to do anything about it. To be able or to be forced to portray that desperation in a believable manner on a consistent basis throughout the show, right up until the very end, where, as people who've seen the movie will know, Sam eventually gets the power to affect things in the real world and comes to the aid of of Molly, um, his fiance. I mean, I I just think at all points throughout that show, you have to, on the one hand, play that kind of desperate struggle to try to affect things in the real world while ma- like while maintaining a sense of believability. I just think it's a terribly hard thing to do, but when it's done well, it's phenomenal to see. Mm. Because you also have this love story, which can never be requited simply by due to the fact that he's physically not there. To have to portray that kind of love and depth of feeling without any actual contact with Molly, the other partner in that love story, it, that's phenomenal. Mm. And, and that it only happens in that kind of crescendo at the very end, where he, he gains corporeal form. Once again, they kiss and he heads off to the afterlife like i mean bar that moment the whole thing is played unrequited and it's just it's it's just brilliant Hmm. it really is it's such a deep character and yeah i i'm i have to say i was really i was looking on at that going like not only going geez cormac's doing a phenomenal job but god i'd love to play that character (laughs) you know yeah no that that's an absolute that's a fantastic pick because you're so right it's actually just the actual like like the requirement to even just to play the part and the the kind of headspace you have to get yourself into is a totally different way of like you know like thinking when you're on stage like you know you don't you do, you can't there, there isn't supposed to be like a reaction off anybody around you mm. you know you're supposed you kind of have to operate both completely in sync with everyone around you and yet out of sync at the same time as well like you know you have mm. to it, it's it's a real kind of mindset shift to play that part like you know and then still be able to convey, you know, the kind of the whole range of emotions, like everything he's going through, you know, because from the very beginning, like, you know, obviously you have two people who are madly in love, this traumatic incident, you know, the confusion, like, you know, about your own and, and almost an, an existential crisis. You're like your own existence. Like, what <laughs> am I? Where am I? Kind yeah. of thing. Like, if this whole, like, these type of things that you wouldn't, like, you would never come across these in the real world. Yeah. Like, you know, like, you can't, you can't, like, put your own person. It's like, well, at that time I died. This is what happened to me. You know, you can't, you totally have to, yeah. like, you know, really have to think at all times playing it yeah a massive struggle and it's a funny one because it's one that people would probably would write off given that ghost is seen as a rom-com yeah Um, like obviously it's it's a bit more drama to it than than the average romantic movie but it's you know it it is a cracking part no it is and you're right dan like that that requirement even just to be on stage with cormac as sam and to not like for the other actors not to be able to look at him exactly and for him to have to act in a way 
that knows he's not going to get any kind of response from anybody, no direct response from anybody. He's literally just taking cues off people rather than in a, a dialogue. Yeah. It's just a strange way to perform. At times, it's like you're performing a one-hander on stage with a load of people. Yeah, It's just a totally bizarre place to put your mind mm. because we are so used to being on stage, having dialogue with somebody else, getting caught up in that dialogue, using the other person's energy and using the other person's impetus to spark how we deliver a line. Mm -hmm. And then bang, for large parts of that, until he meets Oda Mae Brown. And again, even in the second act, there's a good portion of it where he's not actually interacting with her. To have to do that is, I think it's just a phenomenal requirement. You get to portray in it, I think, things that you will not portray in any other part is that supernatural quality, which, you know, you might have to look to a Jekyll and Hyde, let's say, to find something similarly supernatural. Mm, yeah. No, I like that. So I like that. I like to think a little bit of, a little bit of something different, thinking outside the box. Yeah. I like that. I like that. What's your, well, what's your second pick? Well, this is definitely going to be a little more traditional okay. but it is a part that i absolutely adore but i'm unlikely to ever play and that is eliza doolittle ah. in my fair lady um i mean i mean you've got a crack you've got a crack in high c i think you could do it <laughs> i think so too um but my cockney accent isn't great. <laughs> oh yeah so true, true. Uh, <laughs> That, that was mainly what I was referring to. <laughs> so My Fair Lady and Eliza Doolittle obviously has its antecedent in Pygmalion by George Bernard Shaw, which is vastly superior stage telling of this story and almost single-handedly won George Bernard Shaw his Nobel Prize. I picked up Pygmalion a number of years ago. I just I was in Hodges and Vegas and I just bought a copy of it. I'd never read it. I mistakenly opened it up to read for five minutes at 12 midnight and a couple of hours later I was still <laughs> reading it because it is one of the most fascinating and engrossing plays ever written. It's one of the best plays ever written, without a shadow of a doubt. And if you haven't read it, you should read it. The character of Eliza in that is much deeper and much more nuanced than it is in My Fair Lady. And ultimately, that has a much better ending. But that's not to say that Eliza Doolittle in My Fair Lady and the whole of My Fair Lady isn't a spectacularly well-written piece as well, because it's adapted off a masterpiece and is a masterpiece in of itself. And I think what, I mean, it, the whole concept of Pygmalion, the whole concept of um, My Fair Lady originates from, I, I can't remember exactly the, the name of the, the Greek poet, but it's about this Greek mythological figure called Pygmalion who he has no interest in love, but he creates this beautiful statue that he ultimately falls in love with. And you, you kind of see the parallels between that and Henry Higgins's and Eliza Doolittle's mm. relationship. But she is not only a character defined by where she comes from, but she's a character defined by other people around her mm. and kind of men in her life as well so you have henry higgins who at the start of it is kind of this you know cranky misogynistic kind of authoritarian 
you have her she is intrinsically filled with goodness but she's kind of wrapped up in the, the kind of language of the home she grew up in and her father and she you can you can tell that she has even from the start of it this kind of desperation to get out of that in some way you know when she repeats those lines like i'm a good girl i am it's it's almost like it's this affirmation that she's trying to tell to herself mm. it's like she's that she's not going to follow that and when she gets a chance to to move out of that and and to i suppose move above her station in society she grasps it and she puts up with a huge amount of abuse with quite a lot of humor and dignity which i think is it's a fascinating thing to watch the way it's portrayed on stage and you watch her evolve and evolve until she she has this moment after I think it's the ambassador's party where she's had a great triumph. None of that is being attributed to her. And she's grown just enough that that's the point at which she knows she can walk away. And she does. But she gets back home afterwards and she realizes that she doesn't, as much as she didn't belong with Professor Higgins, she now no, no longer belongs there either. And she's kind of caught in this half world where she's she's not really sure of her place. And, and that gets resolved at the very end of it. But it is the kind of complexity in a character and this the kind of arc in a character that you just look at and you go, wow, to be able to do all of that. Just e even from the technical perspective of the, the behavior and the accent to go, you know, from this kind of, I, I think at one point Higgins calls her at the start a squashed cabbage leaf. I don't know if that's in, in the script of My Fair Lady, but it's it's definitely in Pygmalion. But to go from kind of that body language, that accent, to, to going to this place of, you know, upper middle class refinement, that in of itself is a great technical journey. But to be able to show that emotional progress as well, to show that kind of build up of, you know, being put down and put down and put down until you finally have the resolve to make that stand. It's just phenomenal. Like it, it is for me, I think, the finest character in it's hard to say, you know, all of musical theater, all of theater, but it's it's just brilliant. You know, I'm I'm absolutely in awe of it. It's a great part. I love, I like you were saying, like, because you think of My Fair Lady and you think of it as a, as, as a lovely show, a very nice, mm -hmm. you know, kind of sweet show. But in the character of Eliza, you know, like you said, you, you really have that, you know, that excellent arc, that journey. And at the end of it, it, it it's not even a simple kind of like rags to riches story. There is, like you said, mm. at, at the end of it, you know, kind of this realization go, you know, I don't I don't belong with him. I don't belong here anymore. Where do I fit in? You know, and and I love that about it as certainly in terms of like the character. And I suppose like, you know, the other side of it then is like there's just no two ways about it. You have to be a, a phenomenal singer to be able to, to, sing, yeah. to sing Eliza, which is always a treat. It's always a joy to watch, you know, an absolutely sensational leading lady just absolutely knocking it out the park with with that with the vocals that are required because there's nowhere to hide there's absolutely nowhere to hide with the part it's i mean no. you're always you're all you know when, when when judy andrews is the one who started you're like crap okay we gotta we gotta do this now yeah yeah and i mean you hit those points in in just kind of that huge emotional rise in like the exuberance and i could have danced all night but then you know some of the notes in that as well mm. to be able to do that in this like you know classical soprano voice it's just every facet of it is spectacular yeah no hand, hand on heart love it love it love it love a good classic choice i love a good classic yeah so if anybody is thinking of doing that next season 
I will be there. <laughs> That's one ticket sold anyway that you don't have to worry oh, I about. You, oh, I thought you meant you'd be there as in you'll play it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there. Send the rest of them uh, home. It's mine. I tell, I tell you what, though, I'm. It's Henry Higgins is definitely there on the list of mm. ones that you really want to play because he, you know, he's like I could have talked about him as well. I'm not going to, but I could have talked about him as another brilliant part because mm. you know he has a spectacular arc too. Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> but I won't. I won't go on about My Fair Lady anymore. I will bring it over to Adam. Well, Adam, you've you've made us wait. Yeah, here we go. God, Adam. So let's let's hear what spectacular choices have you for us. I'm kind of feeling like I should just pick two alphabetically from the top of the list and just call it a day. (laughs) (laughs) No. What? Sorry, you're going for Aida and (laughs) Don. Yeah. (laughs) No, no. Um, I have, however, gone for two more villainous kind of parts. Uh, kind of nice. in mm. or, or at least antagonistic in a sense yeah. so i have gone for judas from jesus christ superstar as my first pick yes i yeah. I, I just think it's it's a fantastic story it, it's one of a couple of musicals where you obviously have a really good lead character in this case jesus mm. but the antagonist is nearly the more interesting or at least the relationship between them is is the yeah. most interesting part and sure. I was gonna say hot, I was gonna say hot take. I'd rather play Judas <laughs> than Jesus. I think I think that I mean Colin Wilkinson tells a fantastic story <laughs> about being cast. I think it was in the Irish production mm. of Jesus Christ Superstar, which was at the point. Now I don't. I just think this is the late seventies and about how he approached he was cast as jesus and he had arranged a swap with the guy <laughs> who was playing judas because he wanted to play <laughs> judas and uh, as he said said himself he was like our lord said yes to the deal <laughs> but the director said no <laughs> so but even the way that the plot is structured and that it opens with judas and I guess depending on your interpretation, he has either already made up his mind that at that stage, he's not really sure if he's going to follow Jesus anymore or if he's still on the fence. I mean, the lyrics to heaven on their minds mm. kind of suggest that he, he still has hope that Jesus will change to the way that Judas thinks he should behave. But a kind of yeah. like the fact that it ends with him saying it's all gone sour. There's kind of the like the doubt that mm. like. Judas isn't all that sure that he's going to get his way. And then just the sparring throughout the show from strange thing, mystifying everything's all right. You know, it all culminates then at the opening of, of the second act of the last supper. Mm. Judas's contributions to each of those numbers are just cracking just kind of the like the admiration that was there and followed by the kind of the sense of betrayal that judas feels in uh, tim rice's lyrics and i think it's just it's a great yeah it's a great kind of series of numbers to get your teeth stuck into and kind of really sparring conflict throughout mm. um like unlike parts like javert say where you kind of only really have one moment to to kind of face off against your nemesis kind of it's constant in Jesus Christ Superstar and for, and for Judas it's kind of every 15 minutes nearly there's there's a a shouting match between himself and Jesus um and yeah. musically it's some of the best songs in the musical theater repertoire particularly damned for all time i think is just a cracking song oh it's amazing it acts as such a good follow up to heaven on their minds where you know you might be inclined to think well he thinks he can change Jesus's mind and then 
having had yeah. those series of confrontations, he has now fully decided that he needs to turn Jesus into the Pharisees. And it's just a fantastic way to write the story, which is almost essentially told from Judas's <laughs> point of view throughout, really. There's an argument that he's nearly more the lead than Jesus. <laughs> And the fact that he opens and closes yeah, Act I, One, anyway, you know, Act One is very much <laughs> Judas's act, and he's and he, and he sings the big song as well, Jesus Christ Superstar. Like, very, very, I mean, end, yeah, yeah, tick, ticking all the boxes for being cast as being called the I, lead I, character. I'm just saying, he's a very like Tim Rice's lyrics, like he's very cleverly written character, yeah, because he's made in ways quite and this might be dangerous talk but he's made in ways quite relatable yeah you he talks about is it heaven on their minds where he's he complains about you let the things you did get out of hand mm -hmm. and he's talking about jesus but you get a sense that that's what happens to judas by the end of it that was actually he let things get out of hand in in how he was pursuing his attempts to stop jesus because he approaches jesus which kind of which seems like reasonable complaints at, at the start of it you know why are you spending this money on you know perfume it could be going to help the poor why are you consorting with this woman it, it damages our credibility and obviously he just he can't wrap his head around why jesus is making the decisions that he's making mm. and he's in his own mind trying to save the movement yeah exactly it's a fantastic angle to take on 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 kind of the most well-known story mm. in the western world yeah, yeah. and that's that's exactly that's what i love about it is that it is it's a story everyone knows but i don't know because it's because it's something everybody knows you need know, to kind of gloss over at kind of any of the finer details mm. of it and the character of judas really it, it makes you stop and actually be like hold on now let's actually take it let's let's take a step back here and see like this is what was actually going on like all the time and mm. you know how how can you try and relate to that? Because it's just, uh, like you know the story. The story is like two thousand years old, but it's like you know being told with modern music and that 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 fantastic juxtaposition, and it really comes through with Judas, like you know trying to actually you know relate to this story and trying to actually you know put yourself in his shoes and like you know try and figure it out. We're like, okay, what would you do nowadays, and would it still be the same? Mm. You know, I just I love I love that conflict. Yeah, and and like even from a technical point of view just that like the music alone is a great challenge to get your teeth kind of sunk into oh. uh, as Judas. But then you mm. actually have this really interesting character of kind of being filled with doubt and shame and, uh, and then obviously culminating in his death. And, and there've been so many great uh, portrayals of it both at home here. And obviously the film versions are it's, it's rare you find a bad portrayal of Judas because it's just there's, there's so much in the material there for for talented performers to really get stuck into. Um, and then my second pick then is maybe less of an anti-hero or, or an antagonist, but certainly not squeaky clean is Mrs. Lovett from uh. Sweeney Todd. Who, yeah. I mean, there is certainly an element of Mrs. Lovett being the comic relief in Sweeney Todd, but it is... Depending on the, on the portrayal, mm. there's less leaning on the comedy, and it is certainly I would not class it as as a comedian's part. I, I think it's 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 certainly much more yeah. of there's a lot more weight and drama to the part than there is comedy. It just so happens that in the context of Sweeney Todd, compared to Sweeney Todd, there's a lot more comedy coming from Mrs. Lovett. Yeah, yeah, certainly she has funny moments. I think every dramatic character 
has funny moments, her probably more than most, but she is centrally a character that she's a key dramatic enabler of Sweeney. Yeah, and, and she's almost Machiavellian in her like manipulation. Mm. Like mm. she's like like she knows from the start that Todd's wife, Lucy, is still alive as the beggar woman who who, who yeah. has been driven mad by arsenic poisoning, I I think. But she deliberately lies to him because of her own mm. selfish desire to have him and, and her, her own loneliness that he suddenly arrived and that this is someone here to kind of to end her loneliness and she's also the one who who takes his his nearly his, his unintentional murder i mean like he doesn't he only really wants revenge for for what was done to him he doesn't plan on this great big murderous spree at the start but it's kind of it's mm. her cajoling and her her suggestion that to dispose of the bodies they uh mm. they serve them up to the customers i mean and a little priest is a fantastic song it is some of sondheim's so good. best oh, lyrics i mean is it eight minutes i love long? i love watching that is it eight yeah long? i love watching that play i love watching it play out and how she like you know that you know the, between the two of them and how she has the bright idea and she's like come on come on get on the same page as me would you for god's sakes yeah and they, that just epitomizes her like in a in a show kind of surrounded by like you know male characters who are like who want to make out that they're like you know the big picture thinkers and that they have it all planned out but they're actually kind of only operating day to day and i feel like she is the one character in that show who is like no i'm i can see i've seen the big picture mm-hmm. here i'm she's the opportunist she's you know oh the mind is constantly going i feel like you know it's, it's so fantastic oh it's a great part and she she's really the only one i mean she she's the one who has the exit strategy yeah Yeah. you know she's planned it down to that yeah it's going to be by the sea you know it's going to be this sort of twisted family yeah (laughs) set up yeah and she she has all of it down and it it is you know speaking of nice light little juxtapositions there's a great bit towards the end of the show where you start to see her kind of machiavellian resolve crumble a little bit in the face of tobias's questioning and looking for reassurance Mm -hmm. she kind of has that moment of this almost battle between a maternal instinct instinct towards him versus that very hard-hearted desire to get what she wants yeah, yeah. There, there is that great contradiction it's 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 honestly i think it's the best scene in the musical oh it's so good i'm always like I, like you'd have expected to just have like when she's comfortable and just like slowly just like pull a knife from the drawer like literally yeah. that's that's how good it is like. there's so much tension in it <sighs> you don't know you genuinely don't know what's what she's going to do next yeah, yeah no it's it's fantastic it's a fantastic part and you know flip of a coin had there been two x chromosomes instead of a y that would be very top of my list <laughs> of dang green it, parts. Dang it. Um, dang it. Well, unfortunately, maybe not in the be. next life. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe in a previous one. Who's to know? Or maybe in a previous one. <laughs> maybe you already have. Um, but it's just. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> Okay, oh. well, I have to say I I thoroughly enjoyed that, chaps. Mm. Thank you for sharing with both me and the listeners your favourite musical theatre dramatic roles. If you think there's something that we've missed out on or there are dramatic roles you love in musical theatre that you think deserve a shout out, please do email us at theodcast at oddtheatre.com or get in touch with us on Facebook or Instagram at The Oddcast by Odd Theatre. That brings proceedings to a close on this episode, but stay tuned to The Oddcast for more content by hitting subscribe, 
follow or add to library wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until the next time, stay safe, everyone. <laughs>